So the craziest thing happened to me this week. A lot of times when I'm preparing for messages, God kind of speaks to me in my personal life as, as he should, and I should kind of internalize some of the truths that I'm going to teach you. So uh, we have been in the journey of potty training a two-year-old. All of you who have been in that journey will have some sympathy for me. Um, and let me just say this up front. I know that your child was potty trained by the time they were five months old, and you know exactly how to do it. Uh, but just give us a little grace as we're in our own journey here. Our two-and-a-half-year-old son has not been the greatest champion when it comes to participating in this thing called the big boy potty, as we call it. And so we have been trying our best to stop buying diapers because they cost money. We don't like spending it. So we've tried a lot of different things. Um, most specifically, I sat my son on the big boy potty and was committed that today was going to be the day. And I did the whole, you can do this, I'll give you chocolate, I'll take you to buy you ice cream, I'll do whatever. And he sat there for literally 45 minutes until I gave up. And it was almost as if he were just saying, yeah, you're not going to win this battle. And so I was like, well, you know, maybe he's just not ready. And that's what Lindsay keeps saying. When he's ready, it'll happen. When he's ready, it'll happen. And I'm like, well, he needs to get ready because it needs to happen, because I'm ready for this to be behind us. So this week, on Wednesday, my two boys liked to take showers together, and after they got out of the shower, he was running through the house naked, and uh, he went into our garage, and um, he used the bathroom, number two, I'll say that, in our garage. And so Landon runs in and, and says, Cohen went poop in the garage. And I was like, oh, no, you didn't. We've been trying this. What are you doing? Why is this happening in the garage? And so I uh, went and cleaned, cleaned that up. And then that evening, that evening, actually, they were getting in the shower again. And so I'm still working with him, right? And so I said to Landon, our five-year-old, uh, you need to go potty before you get in the shower. Show your brother how it works. And so he did. And and so I said, now, Cohen, it's your turn. And, and he wouldn't have anything to do with it. And I said, all right, we'll get in the shower. And immediately upon getting in the shower, immediately upon getting in the shower, my two-year-old turns to my five-year-old and pees on him. It was just like a slap in the face, right? It was just like, you're like demoralizing me. Like I had such hope for you that great things would happen and you're doing this to me. And so something snapped inside of me. And, and I just said, tomorrow's the day it's going to happen. I'm tired of this. You know how to do this, and you're just being that kid, and I've had enough, right? I kind of switched modes, and I was like, oh, you can do this, son, to like, you're going to do it, okay? So literally, literally, I took my son on Thursday morning, and uh, I sat him on the potty, and just something in me switched, and I said, you're not getting up until you go potty. And at first, at first, he went through this stage of like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. And he's just like, you know, playing around and trying to get toilet paper and throw it in. He's, he's like not engaged at all, right? And I'm like trying to capture his attention. Come on, son, you can do this, you can do this. And then it like, it dawned on me like, he's not taking me seriously, right? He's mocking me, sitting on his throne, pretending that I'm in his world trying to get something from him. And so I just said, all right, we're going to resort to uh, plan B. Now, 
I have to be careful what I say here. Um, I am the vice president for a local nonprofit called The Treehouse, and uh, they deal with children who have been abused, and they do prevention, and they also do counseling for children who have been abused, and they're not fans of spanking. But I'll just say that I got spanked when I was growing up, and uh, we're spankers. So I began to say to my son, there will be consequences if you don't go potty. Okay, now, let's fast forward a little bit. And he has gone from this playful kid, like you're in my kingdom, but you don't deserve to be here, to like, he's taking me seriously now, right? And I'm kind of getting frustrated. It's been about 30 minutes now. And I'm to the point where I'm like, do it now or else. Like, it's about to get ugly. And so I saw my son move from this playful mindset. He moved past the stubborn, no, I'm not going to do it. You can't make me. And now I saw that he's taking me seriously, and he's trying. Like, he's trying to go potty, but he just, he just can't. He just couldn't. He just couldn't go. Like, he was, I could tell he was trying, though, right? You could tell when they're trying, he couldn't do it. And it was like God brought me to the book of Galatians. And he was like, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get a certain behavior. You're trying to force a certain agenda on someone, and it's almost like you're holding the law to them that if they don't abide by your law, then there are going to be consequences and there's going to be punishments. And so just in that moment, I was like, I was like, buddy, you don't have to go, do you? And he said, he said, no, daddy, I'm trying, I'm trying. And I said, well, let's try this. I'm going to turn the shower on. You want to get in the shower? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I said, you're going to stand in that shower. And when that hot water hits you, you're going to have a feeling like you got to go. And what we're going to do is we're going to get out and we're going to come right back to the potty. Okay? And he said, I said yes, sir. So he gets in the shower. He's not in there 15 seconds. And I said, I said, you feel like you got to go? And he said, yes, sir. And he walked right over to the potty and he went, he went potty. And we celebrated. I took him for ice cream. I mean, we went and did the happy dance throughout the house. I mean, it was like a Super Bowl had been won. And then later that evening before bedtime, it happened again. I said, I said buddy, we got to go potty. And he walked right up to the potty and he went. And it was almost as if like in Galatians, the churches that a man named Paul, he was an apostle, he went and started churches and then he would train up leaders to lead the churches and then he would correspond to them through letters. This is a letter to the churches in Galatia, which is around modern day Turkey. And he would write to them and correspond to them and teach them things and correct things that are not going well. But in this particular church, after he had started it and he had shared about the grace of Christ, people came along behind him and began to share a different gospel. And it was a gospel that was basically telling people, you're not getting off this potty until you go, and there's going to be consequences. They were literally telling grown men that it doesn't matter that you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've received the grace of Christ. Now you've got to be circumcised. You have to do certain things. This is what you've got to do to be in the club. And it was almost as if they had come behind Paul and just knocked his feet out from under him and started sharing this new gospel, and the people started following there was confusion, but people began to follow in this way. And so Paul is writing this letter, and the theme of this letter um, is, is a theme of freedom. And he's sharing with them that, that serving Jesus should not feel burdensome. Like if, if you're 
claim to be a, claiming to be a Christian and you feel like you're trapped in this thing called Christianity, you can't have any fun, like you're just stuck and all the good things for people who don't claim to be Jesus and well, maybe life will get better when I get to heaven, but I'm just stuck right here following all these rules. If that's what Christianity feels like to you, then today you need to hear that there is freedom in Jesus. The other thing that you need to hear is that those certain people would lead from a legalistic standpoint Basically, Jewish people were coming to people who were never Jews and trying to get them to live a Jewish life, even though Jesus came to the Gentiles as well and didn't require that they follow the Jewish law. And, and so they were kind of trying to change their behavior, and they were trying to make them be something that wasn't necessary. And, and I think so many times in the church, that's part of our mindset is that we want people's behavior to change, and we can, so more, we're more concerned with people's behavior and their actions, that they look a certain way, that they act a certain way. We're more concerned about that a lot of times than we are the condition of their heart. And a lot of people would say, well, when you talk about grace so much, you just give people a free pass just to live any old life they want, and Jesus will forgive them, and that's not what Scripture teaches either. And no, it's not. It's not. In fact, we're going to read today where the Apostle Paul corrects one of Jesus' closest followers, calls him out and says, you're wrong and you've got to change. That in our life there are things that are wrong, they're called sin and they have to change, but we don't change out of obligation. We don't change because the rules say we have to. We don't change because if we don't, there are consequences. We change because the grace of Christ has set us free. And we found hope in him. And we're so passionate about following Jesus that we want him to make us into who he wants us to be. And it's not about a free ticket to act any way you want. And it's not about a set of rules that you have to follow. It's about loving Jesus and developing a relationship with him that allows you to cultivate and to grow into who Jesus wants you to be. So we're going to pick up in chapter 2 of the book of Galatians and the context where we left off, Paul was defending his authority as an apostle. He's talking to them about the, the reason that he had a right to tell them the truth of the gospel. It wasn't because someone told him, it was because Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And just like if you are a follower of Christ, Jesus has revealed himself to you and he's called you to follow him. Paul is defending his authority as a calling as a, of an apostle. And so we're going to pick up in chapter number two. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Listen to the wisdom of, of Paul. I've been teaching this gospel to the Gentiles, to those who never claimed to be followers of the Mosaic law, the Jewish custom. Uh, Jesus' grace had been extended to them, and I've been teaching this gospel to them, and now I'm coming to the leaders of the Jewish Christians, and I'm just going to teach them what I've been teaching, and just make sure that what I'm teaching them is sound doctrine. Just make sure that I'm not teaching things that aren't good. This is something that I invite our overseers of our church. Listen to my sermons and please tell me if you ever hear that I'm teaching false doctrine, if I'm leading people astray. This is an important, important truth that Paul is, is embracing that accountability is great in the life of a believer, but specifically a leader. Verse number three, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So here's the big issue at hand. Again, 
the Gentiles who never claimed to be Jewish followers of the Mosaic law had received the gospel of Jesus. And now Jewish Christians who had also received the gospel of Christians were coming behind them and saying, now you have to embrace the law. So it's Jesus plus the law. And so you men, you haven't been circumcised. You're going to have to be circumcised if you want to keep calling yourself a Christian. And Paul is saying, well, that is not the gospel that I preached. And so when he went and spoke to even the Jewish Christian leaders, not even Titus who went with him, who wasn't a Jew, who was a Greek, felt compelled to be circumcised. That there was authority in his message that wasn't founded on legalistic approaches. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And that's, that's the danger of a wrong approach to the gospel. Is that we're in, in bondage and slavery to a thing called sin and Jesus sets us free from that sin and then we go right back into a different type of slavery. And we, we allow the rules of man to dictate our approach to life and they feel so burdensome and it feels as if we can never be who we're supposed to be and we're constantly shamed, we're constantly uh, feeling as if we're condemned because we aren't good enough for all of the rules that we've set for each other. And Paul would say that's a teaching that's infiltrated the teachings of the gospel. And then he says, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. Listen to that. God doesn't judge by external appearance. The way you look on the outside isn't Jesus' greatest concern. He is more concerned about your heart. And he sees your heart in its purest form. And there's no hiding anything from Jesus. On the contrary, verse 7, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. This was the disciple of Jesus who denied Christ three times. This was the disciple of Jesus who, when he left to go back to his way of fishing, Jesus called him back to be a leader in the church. This was the man who stood up on the day of Pentecost and proclaimed the gospel to uh, the nations, and 3,000 men were added to the church in a single day. This was one of the greatest Christian leaders in the New Testament. And, and he was called to go to the Jews. Paul was called to go to the Gentiles. That would be people who weren't Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also in, at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. You know, you know what I love about the, his approach here? He's saying Peter was called to a certain lifestyle that I wasn't called to. And I was called to a certain lifestyle that Paul wasn't called to. We had different missions in life, but we embraced the same gospel. We embraced the same Jesus. That your life may have a different focus and purpose from someone else. God might call some people to some foreign country, and they may do church completely different than the way we do church here. And it doesn't mean that they have to change and do church the way we do church. In fact, the way we do church is a lot, of, a lot different than a lot of churches in town. And that's a good thing because we can all reach different people. It doesn't mean someone's doing it right and someone's doing it wrong. Beautiful compliment here of the work of the gospel and people and their different approaches to life. Now, verse number nine. James, Peter, and John, 
Those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So even the greatest Jewish Christian leaders approved of the approach that Paul had to the Gentiles and said there's no need for them to embrace the Jewish customs. In fact, Acts chapter 15, you can see a more heated discussion about this very topic. And, and the fact that they did not think that it was important to make it difficult for these Gentiles to become followers of Jesus by being circumcised specifically. And so they've got James and Peter and John's approval, and, and they're sent back out to the Gentiles to preach and proclaim. And then Paul begins to address an issue here. Verse number 11, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. We don't like to hear that, do we? Listen, you're wrong, Peter. I know that you stood up and 3,000 people came and followed Jesus, and I know that you feel like you were one of Jesus' closest followers, and you sat at the table with him, and I never did. And you feel like, you know, you have so much more authority than me, but listen, you're wrong. We don't like to hear that. We don't like those words from time to time, but here is a leader in the church who is leading an example for us, not that we should call people out for the sake of condemning them, but for the sake of the gospel, we protect the integrity of the mission of the church. So he's saying, Peter, man, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. You're, you're not approaching some things the way you should. And let's, let's hear what was happening here. Verse number 12, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So, so Peter had found himself among Gentiles and he was enjoying fellowship with the Gentiles and he wasn't causing them to embrace the laws that the Jewish people had embraced. But then when leaders from the Christian church began to, from the Jewish Christian church began to come around, he began to withdraw from the Gentiles. And it was like when they weren't there, he was all buddy-buddy with the Gentiles and didn't demand things of them. But then when the leaders came around, he feared them and he began to draw back from the Gentiles and not associate himself with them. And this is a danger that we have as Christians that we allow ourselves at times to draw back from the very thing that God's called us to. That we allow the approval of man to dictate our actions before a holy God that we fear man's opinion of our lives many times more than we fear God's opinions of our lives. And I can remember time, times in my life where I had drawn back from being who God had called me to be because I wanted to appear a certain way. I wanted to get certain approval from certain people. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was like Paul's right-hand man. And Paul is like, listen, even Barnabas is following you in this hypocrisy. You're being two-faced. You're acting one way in front of certain people, and you're acting a completely different way in front of another set of people. And that is not a reflection, Peter, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no approval that's necessary for these Gentiles to embrace. And your love for them should not be conditional on who's in the room watching you. 
And I got to thinking about in my own life, and maybe you can relate the times that, that I have forgotten focus on why I do what I do and how I live my life. And I've gotten consumed with different laws and legalities that I think make me appear in a certain way. Let me give you one example. You'll think this is humorous, but you'll see that God has delivered me from a lot. I had lunch this week with um, a former student of mine in student ministry, and this was a, an incredibly talented musician. He's an incredibly talented musician today. He's, he's led worship a lot. He led worship for me in my student ministry. And um, this was a kid that in this lunch that I had with him uh, the other day, he apologized to me. He said, I'm, I'm sorry for being that punk kid that, that I always thought that I was right. In his words, he called himself self-righteous. And, and we had kind of uh, a strong-willed person here that I was leading. And I had to turn around and say, man, I'm, I'm sorry myself because I can remember teaching a Sunday school lesson to you. And I can remember in, in my first month, I taught Sunday school lesson about how you should never listen to anything but Christian music. And he, he started laughing. He said, yeah, I always thought that was crazy. But here's, here's the truth. Let me, let me just share with you where my life was at that stage when I was 22 years old. Anyone who got into my vehicle knew that they never touched my radio station. It was only Christian music. And that was a conviction that I had embraced. Am I saying that's a bad conviction? No. If you only listen to Christian music, that's a great thing. A lot of people would say you're missing out on some good music that the world, uh, in the world, but it's a great thing. Focus your minds on things that are godly. Nothing wrong with that. But where I got into trouble is when I allowed something that was a personal conviction... That was my way of saying, Jesus, I'm going to surrender everything to you, and I want to be so focused on you that I'm not even going to listen to any other kind of music except Christian music. And I began to, in turn, teach people, hey, you shouldn't either. You should be as like on fire as I think I am, and you should be so holy like I think I am, and you should never listen to anything but Christian music. And then I got a little older, and I got into this book of Galatians, and I realized that I had put myself into this slavery mindset, and I didn't feel free. I felt like I was trapped by these rules. I can remember getting into a huge argument with my girlfriend at the time because we had just started dating, and she changed my radio station. And, man, I just blew up. I mean, I am, like, yelling at this girl because you changed my radio station. That's where I was because I was so engrossed in being a certain person and having people look at me in a certain way that I began to allow those convictions to become laws to other people. And I began to teach people. And then I just realized one day that music isn't Christian. Jesus didn't hang on a cross for tunes. He hung on the cross for souls. And, Christian, and, and music has influence on us but Jesus didn't die for music. He died for the people who make music. And then I began to think, I watch a lot of sports. And these aren't Christian sports. I can watch a whole game and never hear a verse quoted. And I got to thinking, how am I making this legalistic approach on one portion of my life have to be applied to other people when I'm not even embracing it across the board myself? I watch television shows that aren't Christian. I watch movies that aren't Christian. I go to restaurants that don't serve Christian food except for Chick-fil-A. 
Christian chicken. (laughs) But do you see how I had allowed myself to take a certain approach to living for Jesus, and I began to make it a rule, a law, and I began to impose it on other people. And this is what Peter was doing. He would go to these people, and before them, he would act a certain way, and then when other people came around, he was like, change the radio station back there in town. Let's, Let's stop listening to it. Such a sad state that we get to this place in our lives where we feel as if the life we live isn't life-giving anymore. That we don't feel free in Christ like he designed us to be free in him. And I'll just say for the record that my favorite music to this day is worship music. And I still mainly listen to Christian music. But I enjoy a lot of other music as well. I've been set free from that mindset. Anyway. Verse number 15, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. This this was huge to me. A man is not justified by observing the law. He's justified by faith in Christ. Do you know that it's possible to have no relationship with Jesus, to have never been delivered from your sin and only listen to Christian music? Do you know that's a possibility? You can follow that law, if that were a law, and you can only listen to Christian music. You can go to church every Sunday and still not have a relationship with Jesus. It's not the law that sets you free. It's faith in Christ Jesus. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Paul's not saying here, act any way you want. He's just saying, don't let the law be your compass for morality and for righteousness. Let what Jesus did for you be your compass. And then you allow him to shape you and mold you. Verse number 17, if we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. We died to the law through the law. Do you know what the law's purpose was in the life of the Jews and the life of the followers of God? It was to convince them that they were guilty. It was to prove to them that they weren't good enough for God. And you know why God sent Jesus? Because man couldn't follow Jesus in his own righteousness. And he said, I'm going to send my son to do for them what they can never do for themselves. The law has identified that they are not good enough, but Jesus is more than enough. And Jesus, on our behalf, paid the price for our sins and redeemed us and rescued us from the slavery and the bondage of sin so that we could be free in him not to be entangled again with the law. And I want to end with the last few verses here. Verse number 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. How do we respond to a God that loved us enough to send his son to die on our behalf? 
It's not by going right back and following the law and saying, I've got to be good enough to justify what he did for me. I've got to make him proud that what he did for me was worth doing. I've got to act a certain way so that he'll look at me in a certain light. It's not to enslave ourselves with rules and regulations and laws. Our proper response to Jesus in his death for us is to in turn die to ourselves. It's to stop trying to live in our own strength and our own power. It's to stop trying to be who we can never be, but rather to surrender who we are fully to Jesus and to crucify ourselves that we might live in Christ. I want to talk to us for just a, a few moments about what it means to be crucified in Christ. Three times in the book of Galatians, Paul refers to crucifying ourselves. Not referencing Jesus' death on the cross, but referencing our response to Jesus' death on the cross. Let me read again uh, Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified in Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. This is our response to Jesus, who loved us enough to give his life for us. First, we crucify ourself. We take an approach that we're not trying to build a name for ourselves. We're not trying to be something that we can never be, but we're completely humbling ourselves and saying, Jesus, it's not about me. I'm going to stop trying to build a life that's respectable in the eyes of man. I'm going to stop trying to live a life that, that seeks the applause of man. I'm going to stop trying to build a life that makes others look at me as if I am more godly than I really am. And I'm just going to humble myself and I'm going to die to myself. And I'm going to surrender everything to you. Because in my surrendering myself to you, I truly get to live. Because Christ lives in me. Listen to what Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. These are words of Jesus to his disciples. Can we go ahead and put that up? From, the time, from this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Jesus is predicting his death here. Verse number 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Oh, what are you talking about? You're telling me that you're going to die? You're telling me that, that your life's going to end? And he's trying to correct Jesus. Do you see the irony in Peter trying to correct Jesus and now being corrected by Paul because he has the wrong approach to following Jesus? Jesus, whoa, we expected you to be an earthly king. Right, You're going to overthrow the Romans and you're going to sit on an earthly throne and, and we're all going to follow you. You're going to become the political leader of the day. You can't die. That's not what we had planned. That's not what we thought was going to happen. Listen to Jesus' response to him. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Wow. That Jesus would speak to the enemy 
that Peter was allowing to speak through him. Just a side note to all you men. I heard a very memorable, heated argument between my mom and dad when I was younger. And when my dad said, get thee behind me, Satan, it didn't turn out well, so don't use that. I don't, I don't, I don't recommend that. True story. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You see it? You're not focused on the things of God. You're focused on the things of men. You're concerned about appearances. You're concerned about being in control of things. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. We don't find righteousness in Jesus by being more disciplined and being more focused and having a stronger willpower and resisting all the temptations of the world to the point that we withdraw completely. This was an approach of mine, by the way, for a lot of my life, is I would just avoid sinners altogether. And if I'm never around sin, I'll never sin. And that's everything against what Jesus came to do in this world. He came to seek and to save the lost. And if we're never around the lost, then we can never uh, be God's hands and feet to the lost. And so I'm not saying that you should go and do things that sinners are doing, but the approach to say I'm not going to be around sinners ever is going to make me righteous is kind of a backwards mindset. But that's how twisted I had gotten at a point in my life. We don't gain righteousness in Jesus by working harder and being better. We do it by dying to ourself and understanding, man, in my own strength and my own power, I'm going to mess this thing up every time. I will not get this right, but if I can die to myself and I can submit to the leadership of Jesus in my life and I can surrender to him and allow him to live through me, that's freedom. That's freedom. That's allowing Jesus to make us and mold us into who he wants us to be and in other gospel accounts he said take up your cross daily this isn't a one-time thing this is a continual surrendering and and humbling yourself before the lord saying it's not about me it's about you jesus and what you did is sufficient for my righteousness and i receive that and i'll allow that to shine through me instead of trying to be good enough and to work harder the first crucifixion we have to uh having in a relationship with Jesus to crucify ourselves. The second thing that he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. They've crucified their sinful nature with its passions and desires. We've got to crucify our sinful nature. That just because we become a Christian doesn't mean we stop having a nature that's affected by this world that has desires and passions that are not godly. And we've continually got to crucify that flesh, that sinful nature, that part of us that has passions and desires that longs for things outside of Jesus. We say, it's not about me, I'm surrendering, I'm humbling myself, I'm crucifying myself, and I'm going to crucify my sinful nature with all my passions and desires and the things that I really think I want in this life. I'm just going to surrender those and submit those to you as well and allow you to shape 
my mindset. And then lastly, in chapter 6, verse 14, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There comes a moment in our journey that the world becomes crucified to us and we're crucified to the world, that there is a separation, that there is a, a death, that there is, there is no longer a union between the world and a person who claims to follow Jesus. We crucify ourselves, we crucify our passions and desires, and we crucify the world and ourselves to the world. We no longer live for this world and the, and the things this world has to offer. We live for the glory of the great God and King, Jesus Christ, who gave himself freely for us that we might receive life in him and live freely in response to what he's done for us. So if, if you, like me, ever struggle with this mindset, this approach that says, I've got to be good enough, I've got to earn certain things, and that forces you to want to act certain ways before certain people and act different ways before other people and not be completely who God's called you to be in front of everybody, then I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning to embrace a life of crucifying yourself, surrendering your passions and your desires, and understanding that the world has nothing to offer us that would ever come close to fulfilling our lives the way Jesus Christ offers satisfaction to us. There is freedom in Jesus. There is freedom in following Christ. You will have more fun than you've ever had in your life when you don't have the burden of sin on your shoulders. There's more freedom in this world than you will ever experience when you surrender your passions and your desires and your relationships with the world that hold you bondage, knowing that you are who Jesus wants you to be. And my prayer for us as a church is that we would be a church that embraces freedom. That we wouldn't stand up and, and make it a goal to make people act certain ways and behave certain ways and allow our personal convictions, which, by the way, I believe that we all should have personal convictions. That there would be people in this room that will say, I'll never drink alcohol. Even though there might be some other people in this room that might say, I can drink alcohol and still be a Christian. There should be some people in this room that will say, I'll never listen to secular music. I'm only going to listen to Christian music. And there should be other people that, that would say, I don't have that conviction. I'm not bound by that conviction. There should be people in this room who have convictions that drive your behaviors, but it's not a form of legalism. It's a form of surrender to Jesus and saying, I want to, I want to love you as much as I can. I want to follow you as closely as I can. And we don't take those convictions and heap them on others like burdens, but we embrace them for ourselves. I still have convictions. I'm not telling you that I don't have any convictions. I'm just telling you I've been freed from a mindset that says I am bound by actions, and those actions determine my righteousness in Christ. And I've learned that there is freedom in embracing what Jesus has done for us and allowing that to be our righteousness and responding to that by dying to myself. It's not about me. It's not about you.
It's about King Jesus and living a life that brings glory to him. And when we get to that mindset, we'll experience freedom like we've never experienced before. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. And I pray collectively as a church that we'll be a church that, that doesn't act one way in front of certain people and differently in front of others. That people wouldn't see us as a church that's full of rules and regulations and trying to dictate behaviors for people. Let us never be a church that forces convictions on people that aren't rooted in your gospel and aren't clearly given as instructions. But let us be a people who loves one another enough that we'll correct each other when we're wrong and we'll receive that correction with a pure heart. I pray for everyone in this room today that battles with the mindset that feels like they have to be good enough to be righteous in your eyes. Today, would you just set them free from that mentality and let them understand that if they'll die to themselves and to their passions, to their desires, and to the world, that what you've done in your death, they've been crucified with you and they no longer live, but Christ lives in them. And Lord, let the freedom of your spirit bring joy and peace to our hearts. And may we follow you closer than ever, seeking to become everything that you've called us to be.